the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourself with Christ. When you put on Christ, what we're saying is, I'm the representation of Christ here in this world. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Morning, church. Welcome to worship. What a great group of you have gathered here on this Sunday after Easter. I'm still basking in the celebration of Easter, as you heard. We had full houses on every campus. We saw people baptized on every campus, and we worshiped the Lord on every campus. We saw people saved on every campus, and that's happening again today. He is still risen. Jesus is alive. You know, on Easter, we talked about this simple truth. If the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible. I've got good news. The grave is still empty. Anything is possible by God's grace and for his glory. And so today, we still come in the shadow of Easter, and we open God's word to hear his truth. Now, when we gather in worship, there's a lot of things we do, and, and so you've experienced that. We sing praises together. There's something about, according to Scripture, just praising the name of God in song. We, we spend time in prayer. In our church, we try to take prayer very seriously and make sure we have moments of prayer where we go before God in that way. We'll have an opportunity to give a little later. That's part of worship. But now we're opening God's Word. So I want to invite you to turn on or turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 13, where we continue this study long study in the book of Romans. Romans is a book about salvation, what it means to be saved, how we're saved, our soteriology, the study of what it means to be saved, to have God's salvation in our life. And now we're in kind of the second part of that that study in Romans, because we spent a lot of time in the first 11 chapters just talking about the indicatives of the faith, what we know and believe, our, our doctrines. And now we've come to where that gets practical, the imperatives of our faith, how we live out what we believe. That's how we behave, right? That's our duties. And so in chapter 12, we begin with that great verse that says, okay, brothers and sisters, let us present our bodies as a living sacrifice before God, holy and acceptable, pleasing before Him. That really is your spiritual act of worship, because when in doing that, we're being not conformed to this world, but being transformed into His likeness. And now, for the rest of the book, we're seeing what that looks like, how we're transformed into the likeness of Christ. 
And that's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it seems hard. Imagine for a moment what it must have felt like to be one of those earliest followers of Christ. Maybe even the disciples. You walked with him and talked with him for three years. You saw him die on the cross, and in that moment, you just hit the depths of despair. And then three days later, he arose, and you find yourself on the seashore just having a, a breakfast of fresh fish cooked over a campfire, and, and, and you're on the high again. And you, you spend some time with him, and, and then you watch him ascend into heaven, and you're just thinking, all right. What's the deal? <laughs> I mean, is all of this real? Does it matter? What's next? And when I think through that, I think about my life as a follower of Jesus. I go through some of those same emotions. I have mountaintop experiences, and then I have times down in the valley. Just to let you know, last week was a great day if you're a pastor, and particularly for the pastor of this church. So for no logical reason, on Monday, I experienced what I call Elijah syndrome. I mean, I was down. I mean, I was like down. I mean, I was like down, doobie, doobie, down, down, down. I mean, I, I, no logical reason, but I was just discouraged. And Elijah, even after great victory, you know, climbed up under a broom tree and said, all right, Lord, I'm ready to come home. And, and so I know what the mountaintops are like. I know what the valleys are, are like. And so some of what I, I, I go through is how do I just live out this faith journey in a way that honors Jesus? How do I go forward in my faith? What should a day in my life look like? Is it what Dolly Parton sang about all those years ago? Tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen, pour yourself a cup of ambition, yawning and stretching and trying to stay alive. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping for folks like me on the job from, <laughs> nope, it's not even nine to five anymore. It's a lot longer than that, it seems. Are you just pushing through or is there more to life? When Romans chapter 13 we begin to see that there's more to life. So I want to pick up beginning in verse 8. This is the word of God. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. This is a continuation. Let me just remind you, in, in the previous verse, Paul had just reworded the words of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus that we said he was rewording? Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And, and so the Apostle Paul, um, he was reminding us that when Jesus had that encounter, they had brought to him a question. Should we pay our taxes even though Caesar is evil? And, and Jesus said, let me see the coin. And he took the coin and said, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar's that which is Caesar's. And then we talked about how surely Jesus looked them in the eye with this intent. But now you give to God that which is God's. 
The coin has Caesar's image, so give that to Caesar. But you have the image of God, so give yourself to God. And now he's continuing by saying, so don't let debts remain to other people, except the debt of love. And then he reminds us of the commandments. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, they're summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, ooh, love does. Say those two words with me. Just say, love does. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Father, in these moments, once more we ask, give us what we need. Teach us. Change us. Lord, if there's not, if there's a person here who's not yet begun a relationship with you, would today be the day of their salvation? And Lord, may the words that I say and even my thoughts be pleasing to you, my strength. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to dive into chapter 13. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because... Chapters 12 through 14, much like the same numbered chapters in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, all deal with this theme of love. But I want to use that to set the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today, because Paul is saying that love is the main thing. I, I like what someone said about this passage of Scripture. They said the main thing is often the plain thing. We we make things too hard, especially in church. So we, we make it about long lists, and we make it about big words. But very often, the main thing is the plain thing. And, and Paul here is echoing more words of Jesus. What are the words of Jesus he's echoing? Remember the religious leaders came to him, and they were trying to stump him. They were asking him, what's the most important of all the laws out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of law? And Jesus didn't even take any time to answer. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The scriptures have a lot to say about love. This passage, you could call it those two words that we repeated, love does Or you could call it love rules, because love does rule, and what you see here are some of the rules of love. Notice how this passage ends. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So of everything God would teach you, love is the fulfillment of that. Now just think about that. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. 
Think about how you've heard that I kind of grew up. I had a wonderful upbringing, but the truth is I, I, I thought a lot of the about the negatives of my faith. Like, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. I mean, it was like, God kind of wants me just to know before I ask, the answer is, if it's fun, no. And, And yet scripture here is reminding us that maybe that's not what it's all about. Maybe here, God is reminding us, he's challenging us, he's convicting us that when it comes to the law, The answer really is the L-O-V-E, love. In fact, Jesus has told us that. He told us in John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would tell us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his what? Love in that while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. So we know this intrinsically that love is a big deal, but it doesn't seem like we live this out in our our daily life. We know, as we say in this church, that we should love God passionately with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we should love others intentionally, that we should be conscious about the way we treat others. But in our daily life, it doesn't sometimes seem like we understand what love does. Maybe we're getting our definitions from the wrong places. Certainly society today doesn't teach biblical love well. If I look at society, man, love is about what I get out of it. Love is about how how you make me feel. It's not about my sacrifices or what I give to you. It's not about what love does. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you watch The Bachelorette. Now, I don't. Well, I have. Um, my friend Bucky, his nephew, um, his nephew was one of the guys on The Bachelorette, and it, it became a big drama. If I, I said the names, you that watch it would know it. So we watched a couple episodes that he was on that. But but I've, I've heard somebody um, kind of just lay out the phases of love according to the bachelorette. See what you think about this. Um, Number one, the bachelorette says, I I can see myself loving him. And then the second phase, I'm falling in love. Why? How do I know? Because I felt something. And then the third phase. Now, by the way, this takes place on day four. (laughs) I am in love. And then... The fourth phase, I don't know what happened, but I'm falling out of love. And, and then the fifth phase, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. Now, I hear that. That does not sound like love. In fact, you know what it sounds like? The flu. I know somebody that has the flu. I'm starting to feel like I might have the flu. I've got the flu. I'm feeling better. I think I'm getting over the flu. I don't have the flu anymore. <laughs> no, we, we can't look to the world for what it means to love. We, we have to look to God's Word. And God's Word says that love does. Love is exemplified in what we do. Love is not how we feel. Love is how we deal. 
Remember, we've, we've discovered early in the study of Romans that, that we don't let our behavior be determined by our feelings. No, we determine what we should do based on our beliefs. And, and what Scripture says we believe about love changes everything. The early church father, Arrhenus, says God did not tell us to follow him because he needed our help. But, but because he knew that in loving him, we would be made whole. So everything else we talk about today, I want you to understand from that backdrop that we're seeking to live our lives as followers of Christ out of an overflow of the love that he's shown to us. So my ability to love you and others well is based on how I have responded to his love to me. You got that? Let me say that again for those of you in the back. My ability to show horizontal love well is going to be based on how I've responded to vertical love. God's love to me. Now, with that in mind, Paul continues to tell us what love does. Verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up. Say wake up. From your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So when I think about that paragraph, that passage of Scripture, I I think about what a day in the life of a follower of Christ looks like. So I just want you to think about your life, or as I like to often say to you, your little corner of the world, how you're living out your faith. Let's compare that with this passage of Scripture. And then in just a few minutes, we're just all going to say, okay, how are we doing and what needs to be done in response to what God has shown us about a day in our life? What about a day in your life? What are the routines? What does it look like? What's the very first thing you do every day? Tell me. You wake up, (laughs) all right? Now, you should have got that because we all repeated it. Let's repeat it again. Say, wake up. We wake up. Then you're going to see we clean up. Then you're going to see we dress up. Let's look at the first one. If we're going to get this right, we had better wake up. That's the healthy thing for us to do. If we don't get out of bed, something's generally wrong. We're not feeling well, maybe we're sick, or we're depressed. When you're depressed, you never want to get up. You just want to pull the covers over your head. But when you're healthy, you wake up and you get going. Verse 11, Paul says, understanding the present time. So I used to, when I was still in school, I would have this terrible dream all the time. I would dream that it had come to the end of the semester and somehow I had forgotten a specific class. I had never gone to it and now I was failing. I couldn't graduate. When I finished my education, I stopped having that dream. You know what I dream now? That I sleep through church. And so you know what I do every Sunday morning? 
my cell phone is one of those cell phones. It's got like 15 alarms set, like 5, 505, 510, 515, 520. I mean, I don't want to sleep. I want to wake up. Well, Paul says you, you need to understand what time it is so that you can wake up. Now, his meaning is different than what I just described to you. I just gave to you what in the Bible, the Greek word would have used this term, chronos. C-H-R-O-N-O-S, a specific time on a clock, 5, 505, 510, 515. He doesn't use that word. He uses the word in the Greek, kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And it speaks not to a time on the clock, but a season, an era. It reminds me of what he says in Ephesians 5. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days, the season, is evil. So in light of this, Paul says, wake up. You know what it means to sleep? I wanted to make sure I had a good understanding, so I looked it up in dictionary.com. And so, on dictionary.com, this is what it says about sleep. A condition of body and mind that typically recurs for several hours every night, praise the Lord, in which the eyes are closed, the postural muscles relax. I'm not sure what that means. The activity of the brain is altered. That's kind of scary. And consciousness of the surroundings is practically suspended. That's what you should have gotten last night. And then what happened? You woke up. That was not a trick question. You woke up. Now, Paul's not writing this to a a group of the church gathered like you beautiful people today. So he's not experienced what, what I have to tell you I've experienced on far too many occasions. He's not looking out and seeing people dozing. He's not talking about physical sleep here. He's, he's talking about something else. He, he's talking about them waking up spiritually. He, he's saying there are many of you that are part of the broader church and, and that you're going through life and you need to wake up. Say wake up. Wake up. What, what does that mean? He, he's talking about those who profess Christ, but their walk, because all throughout these verses, he's going to talk about walking, their walk causes them to look more like zombies. They don't look like those who are representing Jesus. Now, then he gives a reason of why this is so important. He tells them to wake up, and then he says why. Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If you're not very familiar with the Scriptures, that could be a confusing phrase. It shouldn't be confusing if you've been hanging out here, but just in case, let me clarify it. In the book of Romans, when we hear that word that we translate salvation, it actually has three meanings, right? Remember that? We talk about how there's a moment in time, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a moment where you were saved. What's the theological term for that? justification. You were justified. It was just as if I'd never sinned. It was just as if I'd always obeyed. So though I was a sinner, the Bible says we're all sinners, I was separated from God. 
when I looked to what Jesus accomplished on the cross, when I received his forgiveness, when I committed my life to follow him, I was justified. And in that moment, once and for all, I was saved from the penalty of sin. I was saved. For me, I was a seven-year-old boy. What about for you? When were you saved? Okay, then it says... We are being saved. Now that you know what the first one was, what is the theological term for this? Yeah, sanctified. More of you got it that time. We are sanctified. That means we are being transformed more into the image of Christ. When we were justified, we were saved from the penalty of sin. When I'm sanctified, I'm, I'm saved from the power of sin. That means no longer am I a slave to sin, I am a slave to Christ. I have the ability within me to go forward in life, not just being controlled by my sinful desires. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.